This is Experts by Experience podcast. Looking at where you started from, it seems like a long way now. But grateful for all you've been through. And welcome to the EBE podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Rwanda policy and its impacts on people's mental health. My name is Azura Hosseini, the Communication and Engagement Officer at Refugee Action and your host for this episode. I'm an asylum seeker. I do volunteer with Refugee Action in different roles. I'm Omid. I'm doing volunteering with the City of Sanctuary and Safe Passages and working with the people as asylum and migrant and refugee. My name's Dr. Grace Crowley. I'm a doctor working and training in psychiatry in London, and I'm also a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists Working Group on Forced Migration and Mental Health. So the Rwanda plan, I guess, is very much tied in with a piece of legislation that was introduced last year in 2022 called the Nationality and Borders Act. The act covers lots of different areas, but one of the key parts um, of the act was that it broadens the criteria for asylum claims to be deemed inadmissible that is not valid. So for example, one of the key changes is that asylum claims will now be deemed inadmissible if a person has been present in a third country and it would have been reasonable to expect them to make a claim for refugee status or other humanitarian protection in that third country. And how the kind of Rwanda plan ties in is that under the new legislation, if the Home Office finds a person's asylum claim to be inadmissible or not valid, then the new law states that the UK will no longer be responsible for assessing their case, and rather they'll look to send that person to a quote-unquote safe third country. A key thing to emphasise here is that this isn't a situation whereby someone would be sent to another country for a period of time for their asylum claim to be processed. Sometimes that's referred to as offshoring. Rather, they'll be expected to claim asylum in that new country while the UK removes themselves of any responsibility for providing humanitarian protection to them. And it just so happens that uh, Rwanda is the country that so far the UK government has made a deal with. Uh, So in April 2022, they made um, the first such uh, an agreement with the Rwandan government called the Asylum Partnership Arrangement. And the arrangement basically means that the UK would be able to send people whose asylum claims have been deemed inadmissible to Rwanda. And once there, they will be eligible to claim asylum in Rwanda, but will not be able to return to the UK. And I guess this, the Rwanda plan or the Rwanda policy, whatever you want to call it, has kind of sparked widespread outrage, really, um, with people highlighting moral concerns and ethical concerns about it. At the time, the Archbishop of Canterbury described the policy as the UK subcontracting out its responsibilities and the UNHCR for kind of declared the arrangements as evading international obligations and that people fleeing 
war, conflict and persecution deserve compassion and empathy. But it's also really crucial to highlight that while the UK has made this deal with Rwanda so far, um, it could well make deals with other countries in the future. So when we talk about the mental health impacts of the Rwanda plan, it's quite important really, I guess, to focus on just the very concept of someone having one's asylum claim deemed inadmissible and being served a notice of removal to a third country, as opposed to getting too bogged down about the specifics about Rwanda as a country itself. I think I will start with an experience first, as uh, we were having our monthly meeting in the Refugee Action Office where we got to know more about Rwanda policy. Definitely we heard about it before, but did not knew much in information in details. So the very first thought which I had personally, I felt unsafe again, as I thought, like my name can be on that list. Even though I know that, you know, like they have certain rules that, you know, like you're not very sure that these rules can be changed tomorrow. So for a moment, I felt very, very unsafe. And that hit kind of PTSDs, which I've been through. And I felt terrible. I couldn't even focus on that uh, report anymore. Took a moment for me to, you know, like come back. And when I looked around, everybody was worried. The expression on, on everyone's face that day, like I cannot explain that in words, how I felt about myself or the other people, those who were present in that room and the introduction of that policy was given. That time, the Rwanda we published to share everyone, like the most of the asylum seekers uh, understand, like any time, any moment, any day, they can receive that letters, mm. and then it is like section one twenty they are receiving, and that is not just helping their themselves for the like moving to the different country. That is everything they are believing for this country they're gonna lose, mm. and mentally is coming to their mind how they can find a way where they have to go for the question, which solicitor they can help them, and when they are coming to take you. You can be from some people from London, from Sheffield, from Manchester, from somewhere else. And all the time you are thinking, I don't have that experience, but I'm putting myself to the another people. One of my best friends I know her like more than four years, he lost his child when he received that letter after two months. Because of pressure. Because of pressure, because of when they're going to be happening. Anytime they're going to come to take me, anytime they want to like rest before taking the attention center and then send it to Rwanda. When she was calling me, she was crying. Like, this is woman. This country is talking about the woman and child. And how you can do that to people is coming to the safe country. How you can do that to the people, they think this country is, is the safe country for them. And then they have a panic for that. This is not just for the one month or two months that affect you for the rest of your life. Every letter is coming. I have a panic to myself. This is all the time. I couldn't open it. They're going to be from home. Eight people in the Sheffield, they received that letter and they are coming from different countries, from like Iran, from Syria, from Iraq. And they say, what's going to happen when I'm going? I don't want to leave. I'm going to escape away, hide somewhere for that. Myself and colleagues in the Royal College of Psychiatrists Working Group have been thinking quite a lot about what the potential impacts of the Rwanda policy might be um, on people's mental health. And, you know, this comes 
uh, in the context of a situation where we know that people seeking sanctuary are more likely to experience mental health difficulties than people living in the host population or indeed even other types of migrants. There's no need really to over-medicalise this as it's entirely understandable given the types of adversity that people seeking sanctuaries have often faced, you know, in their home country. It might be fleeing war or persecution or on the journeys to the UK, they can often be very difficult. And then once they get to the UK, they often face lots of adversity as well, financially and in terms of lots of uncertainty around their immigration status. So it's understandable that this is a population of people who already have high rates of mental health difficulties. There is another point in my mind that a lot of people, even, you know, like they don't know much of the details, Hmm. but they're scared. That put me in in a position where I think, how about the minors? Then it means they can kind of escape or maybe go into wrong hands just to seek help as Hmm. they don't want to leave from here and they don't want to be deported to a third country. That's my concern. Like, minors are my concern. And we can't really explain to each and every person that, you know, this is the policy in detail. As it's just kids are future of any of the countries, right? I work in social services. So we speak a lot about child abuse. And these are child of not maybe this country, but, you know, like some other countries, but they are child, the children's living here. And I always think about their safety first, their mental health first, like how it is affecting them. And they're vulnerable. Any person on a street can tell them, oh, I will save you. You come with me, work with me, sell drugs, do this for me. Sexual exploitation, any sort of exploitation is so, so, so easy. When a person says that, okay, I will save you. You escape from here. Don't just get into the system. I'll take you from here and then I'll take you, you know, further in terms of your accommodation and I'll pay you some money also. For the child who doesn't have that much ability to, you know, like research or maybe to know more, who was unsafe before and now he's feeling unsafe again, he will definitely opt that option. That, okay, if I go with that person, I'll be safe maybe. I agree with her because like when you are supporting yourself as a person, you want to take one person out of the any place of like a hotel accommodation of the home office, they are coming out, they don't think about which person is caring about. Because just to give you address and go. Now if I call the migrant help or home office for calling them, I say, okay, I want to go live with that person. They're going to support me as accommodation, exact money. They're going to do that. Just you need the sign of person. But behind that, they're going to be trafficking. They're going to be like using children and the women for the like sexuality or anything or slavery yeah true that happens modern slavery is then now it's yeah, happening yeah. here like also another way like what the reason of rwanda six thousand kilometers far off than this country is spending more than million more than every day we are spending here at the moment for putting person to the not safe country we have a lot of refugees for rwanda this is a not safe they coming to this country Okay, the rules say we are not sending them to that country, we are sending somewhere else. Okay, that is the same. That is the people are back into the danger. They didn't give it the limited time for them. They said, okay, we are sending to you because we don't have a space. You must stay here, for example, two weeks or three weeks or six months. No, they're going to be like Australia and then they're putting the people to the island and for 10 
12 years they are still there and what about the UK as well they're gonna make the debt low they don't know what is the impact of that what what is result is coming out of there and that this country is talking about humanity and against the, another country because of humanity as well you have to first you are thinking about your country how you are building how much you are spending for that going for that point where if you look at rwanda's own reputation how bad is that like how are you choosing that country deliberately as no freedom given to their own people so we are thinking about, you know, like refugees going there and living there. So what sort of a freedom or the right they will have there? Whereas Rwanda, as a country, have a very bad image. Everything is available on the internet. You can read about Rwanda. You can read about anything. And any oppressions they, they do on their own people, which is the citizen of their own country, which is their own people. And these people sent from here, they're not even their own. So what they're going to do? And how about rehabilitation of these people what they will be doing over there like how they're going to live as prisoners as there won't be any freedom for sure freedom of movement freedom of speech none of that how about kids how about their education how about their social care and women i know a lot of women they seek asylum or sanctuary in uk just because they were oppressed in their own country that is the only reason and when they came to UK, they found their voice. They found themselves like, okay, now, you know, I am a woman. I'm on my own person. I'm not just, you know, like a title given to me. Okay, you're someone's daughter or someone's wife or someone's um, sister. And that is it. That's your identity. You know, I've met so many amazing, talented women who ran from maybe domestic violence or any sort of oppression from religion or from culture or any sort. In UK, they found their voice and they're building themselves as if, you know, like they're a newborn here and, you know, like relearning. So it's a really nice process, like relearning and getting to know more about them as a person and uh, challenging themselves, learning more. And they have aspirations now. Some wants to go into nursing, some wants to go into teaching, some wants to go into childcare. So there are so many amazing women. Coming back to the point, what they will be doing in Rwanda are they escaping one oppression to another? And the PTSDs they've been through, they will be triggered for sure. So are these points taken care of? Like what sort of a mental health help will be given over there? Like I'm not even talking about medical help. That might be available, like a first aid. I don't know, as it was not clearly mentioned in the report, even like what sort of a measurements they have in place. How about well-being? How about mental health? There's a lot of people here, they suffer like the very, 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 very common uh, psychological disorders. They will have traumas, anxieties, stress, sleeplessness. These are very, very common. Like every other person I would ask, one of these would be there and even and one person can be more than that. So they are already dealing with a lot and then uncertainty and then not being safe again. And then on top of that, another challenge that you will be sent to a third country where you don't know anything about and we don't know anything about what is going to happen to you. So you're on your own. Deal with it. You raise a very important point. I have a quote from one of our Rwandan's clients who couldn't join us today because they feared they would be identified by the authorities. And for that very reason, I will mention their name. So this person says, I was a journalist and worked for media in Rwanda. Bringing people seeking asylum to Rwanda won't solve any problems. It's not hard. People need to check the internet. 
35 out of 100 youth in Rwanda suffer from mental health problems. There is no freedom of expression. Journalists are either detained or killed because they dare to tell the truth about the government misconducts. The government takes people's properties unlawfully and forcibly without paying them a dime. So as a result, many have become homeless. Also, they kidnap Rwandans who seek asylum in other countries and detain and kill them. We still have a long way to freedom. I know for four people from Rwanda in Sheffield, and they say they even they didn't find the right place to make a camp or something for them because it was not safe. It was they have a different kind of gang or terrorist uh, organization. They are already they are with the government. They are working. They didn't think about the people that are coming there and then they want to live there. They have a culture. They have a religion. How we can support them? How we can build a one exactly safe place? You, you want to send a, a NATO there to save them? And of course, they are not doing that because it costs money. Now, going back to our main topic, the mental health implication of the Rwanda policy for people who are already suffering from um, different conditions will be detrimental. Is it correct? And there was a large uh, review of the evidence published in 2020 that looked at refugees and asylum seekers worldwide. And it found that around 30% of them um, had post-traumatic stress disorder. And again, 30% had depression. And these are much higher rates than we see in the general population. So given that people seeking sanctuary uh, are much more likely to be presenting with psychological distress and high rates of mental disorders, we think it's really important that mental health is, is considered in the conversation around, well, any conversation around changes to the asylum system and the impacts that might have. I guess when we're thinking about the mental health impacts of the Nationality and Borders Act or the Rwanda policy, it's quite difficult because a lot of it's quite uncertain. So not only is it a fairly new policy only coming out last year, the Nationality and Borders Act itself has quite a lot of vague statements um, in it. So for example, it isn't really clear at the moment to what extent an asylum seeker's mental health will be taken into account when making decisions about being removed to Rwanda. Uh, it's not clear whether someone's mental state or their psychiatric history or their trauma history will be taken into account at any stage of the process. And it's also not clear whether any specifically you know, mental health or, or any health screening will be conducted prior to people being sent to Rwanda. There is a provision in the Act for exceptional circumstances, but there's no guidance on what that might constitute or whether mental illness will be considered in this category. So we can only really speculate, you know, based on our clinical experience and experiences of similar policies in, in other places and the types of things that we think courts might consider when making rulings on on whether or not someone should be sent to Rwanda are things like whether someone with a pre-existing mental health difficulty will be able to access health care in Rwanda or in another third country where they might be sent. The people that are coming there and they have so much trauma or so many things because they have a difficulty time in the past and now they are coming here, you are make them angry, you are make them sad. That is back into your country. That is back in like after yeah. 10 years. Uncertainty, again, unsafety. Like they, they don't feel safe anymore. Like in, in hotels, especially, it's like uh, people think that they will be the one who will be sent to Rwanda first. I don't know, like it's their maybe concept or um, it's just the rumor they have. And uh, a lot of people I know got panic attacks 
and not just on when they hear this news, like on a daily basis, they started having it. Everyone is given one life. So what everyone is trying to do to save that life and try to be at a place where they can be at peace and few of them, they can feel the freedom of any sort. That's what their struggle is. But coming back to it and getting this like uncertainty, unsafety, just gives them the whole flashbacks from the past. Exactly. Pushing people to live in uncertainty and forcing them to relieve their past trauma. I see it as a form of torture, which can trigger suicidal ideation so easily. Yeah, I know some people like he's one of my friends, he's from my country. And when I told him as a friend, imagine there's going to be something happening to you. What you are doing, you say, that going to be my end of life. When you are hearing someone is talking about, I'm going to kill myself. I have to record that to the, my manager. I told, don't say it to me. I want to tell them my manager because you are making me nervous first. You are making me think about what you want to do that. And this is not just one person. Even that's before myself. I know this is the end of my life. But when I'm going to that country, I don't know anything about which language they are speaking, where I'm going, what, what is the geography, is, where is it? This is not about the people that are living there. They are struggling with so many things as well. They need any chance to come into the Europe, going to the different safe country. People see a dead end. Yeah. That's the dead end for them. The dead end means you can't see beyond. So if you can't see beyond... It's very unfortunate. Exactly. But that policy is a dead end for people. To be served a notice of, of being removed to Rwanda, we can speculate, but there's also been a really brilliant report um, by the organization Medical Justice. The report was called Who's Paying the Price? The Human Cost of the Rwanda Scheme. And essentially it detailed 36 people who Medical Justice, the organization had worked with, who since arriving in the UK from mid-May 2022 onwards had been selected for removal to Rwanda. The first thing to say is that what they found is some really very extremely vulnerable people have already been targeted for removal to Rwanda. And they include age-disputed children or young people, survivors of human trafficking, survivors of torture, people with mental health conditions, and even people who have self-harmed or expressed suicidal ideation while in detention. They also highlighted in the report that there's no specific screening process prior to being notified for removal you know, as I mentioned before, it is a real issue. And crucially, the clinicians working for medical justice have found that just the very prospect of being removed to Rwanda was causing people to experience, you know, extreme fear, confusion, uncertainty about their safety, and a loss of hope. And in some, you know, examples, the prospect of removal to Rwanda was really exacerbating pre-existing mental health difficulties for people. And they even found that in some cases, it really heightened the risk of self-harm and suicide, just the very thought of being removed. So these were obviously very concerning findings. Really, the Rwanda plan is just another thing in the hostile environment that's a barrier, really, to people accessing healthcare or accessing any type of um, public sector support. And that's really concerning. Over there, one thing will be missed too, amongst all the other points. A faction, passionate and humanistic approach people have here in UK for other people, which will be missed. So many organizations work here on the same agenda. And even the, if it's not an organization, it's just 
a simple place in home you see on a bus stop, in a library, or in your classes. They're happy to communicate. They're happy to help. They're there to help. They do fundraising. They do different sort of events. They do different things just to make you happy. And, you know, like to, to just make you that you're part of a country and you're welcome here and you feel good, you feel positive, you feel happy. I think I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't know for what reason, but I am. And uh, I have lots of hopes and I'm very positive in a way. I believe in people of UK, honestly. I believe in their belief, like they believe in humanity. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. For more information, please visit the Refugee Action website. And to catch up with the latest, you can follow Refugee Action on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We want to declare that we are free right now. When the sun set free, shall be free indeed. Are you ready to declare with me?